Our Lakeshore campaign features content that some viewers may find uncomfortable, including gun violence, drug use, and sexuality. For more detailed information, including full content warnings and transcripts, check out the show notes or our website, therealmscast.com. Previously on Many Realms Lakeshore. Susan dresses as her male persona, Simon, to obtain some of the drug Sunshine that she sells around the Fairside neighborhood, including to Roman, who supplies the Fey ruler, Ileana. Simon learns, however, that unspecified shipping issues have led to a blockage in Sunshine production. Knox investigates a key he found on the corpse he buried. It leads to a shed at the Naturalist Society that is full of notes on demons as well as a strange mechanical device that Knox makes off with. Roman, desperate to get back into Ileana's good graces after ruining the ritual, agrees to work with Susan to uncover the source of the sunshine blockage. Meanwhile, Kitty Yanakis enjoys an afternoon picnic in the park with her husband Philip and stepdaughter Betty. She has a funny feeling when she sees Knox making off with the device, and later when she attempts to channel a vision of Philip, she instead sees a demonic Knox standing over a body in a burning building. Hi, I'm Jory. I'm playing Kitty the Oracle, and it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Eli. I play Roman the Fae, and it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Jillian. I play Susan the Hunter. It's good to be here. Hi, I'm Jordan. I play Knox the Tainted, and it's good to be here. I'm Jesse. I'm your MC, and my legs go on for days. If you come across my toes, let me know. This is Many Realms. So we are going to pick up this episode about four or five days after the events of last episode where everyone was recovering from their harrowing night out in Fairmont Park and at the charity art gala and spending the next day searching for drugs, feeding ducks, etc. Now we find ourselves a few days later at the Naturalist Society in Fairmont Park, where Susan Starling, I think, is going over some of the notes that she has made in the past week. Susan, what is your last? What have your last few days been like? Demons are my main priority because now I have all these new notes. None of them are the giant demon I shot out of the sky, and that's bothering me. Roman, Roman and I said we would work together to figure out the lack of sunshine ordeal as well. So I'm not sure if we've tried to put any feelers out for that, but that's like second on my list, even though I'm sure it's at the top of her list. Right. The notes in the shed that Grace recovered after she and Knox let themselves in and discovered what was happening there do have a lot of information about demons. A lot of it, as you've discovered, as you've taken the time to pour over these notes, parallel your own research, your work with the girls at the Naturalist Society. And it seems like the person who was running this whole operation in this shed was measuring and and quantifying the demonic activity levels, not using kind of map making, anecdotal data, uh, scouting trips like you were, but using a machine. This tracks, of course, because Grace described how she found a machine in the shed, how the tall, white-haired guy took it. 
she took a photo of him holding it, which in the past few days she has developed and has provided you. It's showing the person that you recognize as Knox, of course. Did he give it back like he promised he said he would the next day? I feel like he didn't. Did you? Yeah, no, I would. It just depends on if I got any information about it. How would you ascertain information about it? I forget the name of the place, but any type of just like tech mechanical place that's known to the public. Or if I have connections, because from the jazz underworld or the regular underworld, because I'm related to both. Not only, not, <laughs> not just like regular people who play jazz, like criminals who play jazz, yeah. like the jazz it's underworld. A, it's a Do super niche specific yeah. type of jazz. The Venn diagram you inhabit jazz. must be lonely. Yeah, it is. If if I could get it to somebody, which was kind of my intent in grabbing it was to, you know, not just grab it and be like, oh, I have this thing now, was to get information about it and then, yes, return it. Okay. I think this would be an example of like hitting the streets, maybe, to find like the resource of a person who can tell you more about this machine. Okay. So that's a move. That's a basic oh. move that you have. It's a faction move, I believe. So you'd need to consider who you're consulting here, broadly speaking. There is a machinist, right, that, that we've we've established, correct? Jim Stevens right. is like a handyman of the mortality faction who uh, has helped Roman out with some of her photography and is probably known to the rest of you. He's a public figure, town alderman. Then yeah, I think I think I go over there. Okay, so why don't you roll with mortality to get Jim Stevens to take a look at this machine for you? Okay. Six. Six? A six is a failure. Mm -hmm. So I think that what would happen in this case is you roll up to Jim Stevens store and you are toting this big machine, one half of which you kind of like hold like a briefcase by your side, the other half of which it has a big concave sort of satellite dish attachment that are connected by a length of wire. And you bring it up to the counter of Jim Stevens and you're just like, hey, what is this? Or how do you play it? What's um, your vibe? Yeah. I don't wanna interrupt, but just a sidebar. Jim has already seen this. Yes, he has, but we'll get to that. I'm gonna say that like I have a acquaintance level relationship with Mr. Stevens. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I think that it's just kind of pop it up and be like, not Jim, Mr. Stevens to me. Yes. Uh, hey, Mr. Stevens, uh, I got something for you to look at here today. You looking to sell? No, not looking to sell. I actually have to return this. It's a, it's a lease, a one-day lease. I'm just more so looking to figure out what it is. You uh, set the machine down on the counter, and he uh, adjusts the little pince-nez spectacles perched on the end of his nose as he leans forward and peers around all sides of the machine. It's curiously like unmarked. There are lots of gauges and dials on it, but no, none of them like tell you what value they're outputting. It has the look of like an industrially made object, but it also looks singularly unique. Like it's not branded. It's not like labeled as whatever, like the title of the machine is. It's um, curiously sort of nondescript. And as he looks over it, you see uh, a flash of recognition cross his eye and he looks up to you sternly, Knox, and he says, tell me friend, how did you come across a machine like this? I've, I've never seen anything like it before. Uh, I was passing by and wouldn't you believe it that it was just, uh... And it was actually in a dumpster, and uh, I swiped it before anyone would notice that it's gone. Uh, it was looking pretty shiny, despite being in a crappy alleyway. So, I mean, it just caught my eye, and I figured that you might know a thing or two about it. Are you going to return this one-day lease machine from a dumpster? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my, that's why I, I included that someone's going to miss it. I don't know. <laughs> Preposterous story. Yes. Uh, <laughs> paper thin. Jim Stevens 
gives you a long, uh, appraising look mm. as he scratches his chin. Well, uh, I've always said uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure. That's sort of how I operate here at Jim Stevens. It's also a junk store dot com. Yeah, I've I've never seen anything quite like this. So I, I'm sorry, but I I don't know if I can do much for you. I noticed that look that he made the look of recognition as you described it. Like it's clear on his yeah. face. OK, yeah, he's not a good liar. OK, see, here's the thing, Jim. Call him Jim now. Oh, here's the thing, Jim. I think that you know something about this and uh I mean, I, from what I hear about you, that uh, you're not the type of man that just lets something like this walk out of your shop. Maybe I can arrange something for it to stay if, you know, you you help me out here. What, you're offering to, like, give it to him? Yeah, I mean, I'll play this out if, if, if it ends up being that the canon is that I don't keep it, then I don't keep it. I know that's what I said before, but I'm, you, I'm here now, so. <laughs> you can keep it if you want. You can not keep it if you want. I think as far as Jim is concerned, he recognizes this machine from a photograph, but he doesn't know what it is and he doesn't know what it does. But having seen it show up conspicuously twice in the same week, he's noticed that it's important. He doesn't have any information to trade with you and he's maybe a little bit suspicious of you for having like obtained this machine that he's got photographic evidence doesn't belong to you. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're willing, if you like want to leave it there, he will accept it, but there's not a lot he can give for you in exchange because he doesn't know what it is. Then no, I think Knox is going to, he's, he's starting to feel the sweat. And if Mr. Stevens isn't going to give me anything, then I'll probably just take take my leave. Yeah, and I think that's and, the like, uh, that's the six, right? Yeah, yeah and yeah. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> he did actually fail the roll. I know, uh, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll think I'll roll with the punches and then uh, basically being at the same place I was when I arrived, uh, I'll leave at the same place uh, and I guess bring it back. Okay, you should also mark uh, mortality. Urban Shadows wants you to participate with and meet all of the different factions in the world of its settings. So every time you make a faction move, which is like hitting the streets to find a resource or a person or putting a face to a name to identify another character or investigating a place of power, which is kind of maybe what we should have done in the shed. Do we do that in the shed? Oh, we should have. Um, when you do those things, you mark the faction that's associated with each one. And as you mark faction moves and kind of get more experience, get into more hot water or in more debts from different people from different factions of society, you'll get advancements for your character. Weird interstitial interlude aside, Nox still has the machine. Uh, Susan doesn't have it, which is good, actually, I think, um, because it gives you an opportunity to like trade with each other and like have things each other wants, right? Because what Susan does have is all of the notes from the shed that Grace very studiously collected and like alphabetized and ordered for her perusal. Susan, assuming you wanted to look through the notes and figure out what any relevant information about demons they can offer you, you learn that this machine is called the Archaeological Radiance Quantifier. It's often abbreviated to just the ARQ, the ARC. The, the documents compiled by Grace and the other naturalists also show some information on like how to operate this machine. Without the machine themselves, they're kind of useless, but it is good that you do have that like um, compounded piece of knowledge. You also have a lead in one uh, margin of a page describing how one of its various meters and dials works. There is a name and an address listed of one Angela Whitcomb. And then mostly as far as the um, demon information goes, 
Again, it seems to corroborate with your findings, increase demon activity. Their notes go back a couple months earlier than yours, in fact. They've been measuring this for even longer than you have this recent like spate of increased demon activity, um, but they agree. It's all along the eastern side. It's like pushing into the uh, developed area fair side more and more. Um, and there are increased acts of, of violence, which correspond to higher levels recorded by the Ark. Okay, does it give me any information on like where the Hellmouth is? There are multiple Hellmouths in Fairmont Park, by which we mean like demon portals and fey portals. They, the ones that are not say created in like a ritual, like uh, Ileana was attempting, but you could call them more like organic portals if you wanted. Those portals are like seasonal, they come and go. There are times when they're smaller and less active. There are times when they're bigger and more active. And they also can like physically move around. Fairmont Park is like just a, a nexus of like all of this energy and the energy manifests. It's almost like lightning strikes when a portal just like opens somewhere in the park. It might stay open for a day, a week, a month. And when you do find them, you can track them and it does help your hunt a lot, but it's maybe beyond like a human comprehension of how to use that information to like anticipate future portals, say, or like figure out how to close portals. Like I, that may be something you're interested in researching and something we can incorporate into this campaign, but that's not something you know how to do yet. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think at this point, I'm very curious about how this machine can make hunts more efficient. Yeah. And I'm upset that it hasn't been returned because I'm already suspicious of Knox as a person. Who isn't? He's he's running around raising suspicion like it's his job. Yeah. And I would love to get in touch with him. Like, I'm dying to talk to him. Maybe he has more information about the demon that attacked him. You know, want to know how that shoulder's healing. <laughs> Funny enough, this call it like a Thursday afternoon as you are pouring through these notes and um, like <laughs> semi-villain like scheming. I feel you're almost in like a lair. You're like, ah, the web's tightening. <laughs> there is a knock at the door to the Naturalist Society. Great, I open the door. And outside the door, you see two people. You see a slim, small woman with dark, very uh, expertly coiffed hair. She is wearing a suit. And next to her is a tall man with short blonde hair, like buzzed almost to the skull. He is easily 6'2", 6'3", 300 pounds, stuffed into a cheap suit. They're both wearing dark glasses in this sunny afternoon. And the woman steps forward and uh, shakes your hand. How do you do? Hello? My name is Max. This is my associate Mickey here. We were just wondering if we could ask you a couple of questions. What is this regarding? Uh, well, you see, we here are just trying to um, track down a friend of ours that we believe might have been around the Naturalist Society recently. So I didn't catch your name. Ms. Starling. Miss Starling, it's it's wonderful to meet you. Uh, Starling, that's a bird, right? And you're at the Naturalist. That's great. Isn't that just so? Well, uh, we're looking for a, a gentleman by, by the name of Knox. Uh, we believe he might have been around here uh, sometime in the past few days. Have you seen anyone? She gives you a passing physical description that is of Knox. Yeah, he uh, he was in the park the other night. He was injured, did a little bit of first aid here, and then he was off. Sorry, I haven't seen him since. I don't know him personally. Oh, you don't have um, an address or anywhere he might work or anywhere we could kind of contact him? It's, it's an urgent matter. Oh gosh, no, uh, didn't get to that level of conversation. Okay, 
thank you for your cooperation, uh, Miss Starling, and we'll we'll leave you to your business. Thanks. And the two step off the porch of the Natural Society and hustle back onto the path towards Fairside. Kitty, you're at home on this Thursday afternoon when you receive a telephone call. Hello? It's Ivy. Ivy is uh, one of your cohorts at the Lakeshore Friends of mm-hmm. Hello, Kitty. How are you? Uh, how are you holding up? I'm doing just fine, Ivy. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm grand. I'm just grand. It's um, only we haven't seen you at, at the last meeting, so I just wanted to check in and make sure everything was all right with you. I, I thought maybe you weren't feeling well. I was feeling a little ill after the event. I think you know, being out in the cold for a little bit. It got to me, but I'm doing much better now. The, I'm very glad to hear that. I'm very glad indeed. Um, um, Kitty, there's another reason I'm calling. I suppose it's just best to come right out and say it. The ladies and I were talking at the last meeting, and we feel that just because of the nature of the gala last week and um, what we heard uh, occurred and what we saw, we... We've decided it might be best for everyone and the society if you maybe stepped back from the gala for the next year. Jesse, stop firing me. (laughs) (laughs) I just love firing Jory. It's a weird, it's my weird fetish. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm doing it again. (laughs) Can't stop me. Look, Ivy says, um, I, I know it's hard to hear and we, I assure you, we don't mean anything personal by it, only that because understandably of the stress that you must be under after what happened, it's just, we wouldn't want you to have to deal unduly with the pressure of, of doing another gala like that. Maybe the summer art fair we can pass on and then maybe we can talk in the fall about the fall art auction. I completely understand, Ivy. There's no hard feelings. I hope we can work past this. And next time I have an opportunity to do a gala, or any event, I promise it will go without a hitch. Of course, Kitty, we have the utmost faith in you. And we just want you to to be well and to take your own time and, and really um heal. Great. I will heal. Thank you, Ivy. Thank you, Kitty. Ta. She hangs up her phone or gets her butler to or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just got super fired again. Whoop. There's That's one thing that happens. I think another thing I want to talk about also and why you missed the meeting and why you've been sort of maybe just kind of hanging at home lately. I think based on what we talked about uh, from the last session that to me, it seems like Kitty feels very like haunted. Mm -hmm. She is very stressed out by her like multiple brushes with the supernatural, which was like a very small segment of her life that she had completely under control and is now like a rapidly growing segment of her life that she has no clue about. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe you have been feeling a little bit withdrawn. Philip and, and Betty have definitely noticed. And I think you might be, I don't know, how are you like coping with that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think I would react to that by uh, isolating myself a little bit. It's like Kitty's a pretty internal person. Mm-hmm. I also think I would cover that up with a face and like, oh, I'm just uh, just having a spell, the mm-hmm. vapors, whatever. <laughs> There's this bestest in my apartment. You, you know how these things are. Eating lead chips again. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever read the yellow wallpaper? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. no. Wow. She was honest with 
Philip, obviously, about what happened. Mm-hmm. I think she's maybe just being a little fake about how much it's affecting her. She's also thinking about what Betty said about the hardware store as well. And I think that um, because you have that lingering thought of Betty's in your mind, and because you're a little snoop, uh, I think that when you are tidying up Betty's room in your apartment that afternoon, that you maybe um, go like a little bit further beneath the box spring and like a little bit deeper in the back of the drawers in your usual tidying, just to make sure that she's not up to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's so what's she up to? super up to a ton of shit. Um, <laughs> in her room, you find, let's say, where do uh, teenage girls hide embarrassing or criminal shit? Cutout book. Oh, cutout book is what I did. Cut yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you glued all the pages together and then cut yeah. the hole, yeah. Underneath Betty's bed, you find a paperback romance novel that you remember lending her a couple of years ago on some random beach vacation. And when you open it, you find that she's actually hollowed out the inside into a little stash box. And inside her stash box 20 are a couple of small, thank you, a couple oh, of small, gosh. thank you, a couple of small bottles. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> a couple of small bottles. Inside her uh, little stash hollowed out book, you find a couple of small bottles of a syrupy yellow liquid that have uh, little lids that include like eyedropper pieces. Do you know what I mean? Like a medicine bottle would have like a lid that also is like the eyedropper. And you also find a wadded up handbill. How many vials? Two. And a Bill? A handbill, like a like a concert poster. Oh, okay. It advertises a upcoming show tonight, this Thursday, at the Hardware, which is, mm-hmm. of course, a bar familiar to you, as Betty mentioned it, as being where Knox regularly played when you saw him in the park last week. How big are these little vials? They're like... Tiny, like, gummy vitamin bottles. Is there enough that I can, like, take a little bit and not take a whole vial so that... Oh, yes. Oh, my, yes. Would you like to do some drugs, Kitty? Oh, Kitty! I don't know. That's what it is. You're playing this. It's not her like osteoporosis medication. Like you're playing it like a mom. It's pretty great. It must just be like candy or (laughs) cod liver oil. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like. (laughs) Should I do it? Do it. Do it. Okay. Take the sunshine. I'm gonna like take a whiff. Okay. It smells amazing. Actually, Um, it smells like candied like lemon peel. And it's a inviting, warm yellow. All right. Do it. <laughs> I'm being peer pressured. <laughs> I like the ghosts in your brain. <laughs> okay, I dab it like salt in a tequila shot. Okay. Yeah, you. you <laughs> this is hard. But this is not expected to happen. Both <laughs> both sessions, you have like completely trounced any plan I had for you. You take the eyedropper and you dab. It's like it's like a syrup. It's almost like maple syrup. The consistency it just like sits in a little globule on the uh, crease of your thumb, and you're like, well, when in Guadalajara <laughs> or whatever, because she said it was like a tequila shot. Um, <laughs> you you lap it up, and it tastes fantastic. Yeah. It has a um, sweet candy-like taste almost that very pleasantly melts over the entire uh, breadth of your tongue. And you smile deeply to yourself uh, as your mouth starts to tingle with the sensation of this substance. All right, that was fun. I'm going to write down when I think this concert is or when I know this concert is. It's like tonight, it's in a few hours. All right, and I carry on. Okay. Roman, what have your last few days been like? 
Roman has kind of been skulking. So many questions. What was that machine? Where are my drugs? Uh, where's my friend? Where's my drugs? I mean, it's just a lot of things that I want that I don't have right now. Drugs and friends. So I think like the only actions I would have taken other than like hitting the hardware at night is um, looking for Alan. Okay. How would you go about doing that? I would probably hit the streets by going to um, the garage where the like a lot of the werewolves around Fairside live mm-hmm. or work. Sorry. Yeah. And like, I'm pretty sure I remember that he had some familial ties to someone. I don't remember if like his dad or his brother works there, but. Um, do you, Eli, not remember or do like, does Roman not remember? No, Roman doesn't remember. But she's like, I'm pretty sure he mentioned this one. So she heads over. Okay. Susan essentially tried this roll last time and failed. So I'm curious to see what would happen if you tried the same thing. So roll to hit the streets with Wild. 10. A 10. Okay. And you can mark Wild if you don't have Wild marked, but you must at this point. So you step up to this garage. Do you know that Simon gets uh, his bike serviced there? No. Okay. Sure. So you just roll up to this garage sometime within like the past week and what's your angle? I mean, there's a bunch of guys that have this sort of burly, hairy, mischievous werewolf vibe to them. They are all wearing like cool, like car mechanic boiler suits that have little inverted logos on the breast that say like Ricky, Ricky B, Carl and all that. Carl B. Carl, Carl, Cardi B is there. <laughs> so you did really good on this role. So I can tell you a lot of information that like the owner of this garage is named Calvin. You remember that he is Alan's brother. So werewolves typically in the in the city of Lakeshore run with the night faction. They're involved in like the criminal underground. Um, a lot of them work for Rex Lemaire. You might have like a vague understanding of that. But these werewolves are sort of not really into that vibe. That's why they've moved out to the West End. They're kind of doing their own thing. And they're much more attuned with like that neighborhood. So you might even know like a couple of them personally or even have like a passing familiarity. This could be interesting. What like what's your approach? What kind of information are you trying to get out of them? Like talk to me. I think Roman has her own information, like having lived with him and being his friend, mm-hmm. knowing the circles that he moves in and um, like maybe the last time he was seen before he went missing. Things that she might not know are like motives of his past. Mm-hmm. Um, anything long term that he might have been hiding from his current friends that his brother would be like, oh, yeah, like he was secretly really into this, for example. Right, right. You wouldn't necessarily have that. Right. But I do think your your like closer familiarity with him kind of gives you a strong advantage in the scene over, say, Susan rolling up and being like, I kind of know who this person is. What's up? I asked about drugs. You asked about Alan. drugs, not Alan anyway. So, yeah. So when you head to the garage, once again, Calvin, the owner, is wiping some grease off his hands with a rag. And he uh, steps up to the large garage door and says, hey there, uh... You, uh, you need some service? Mm, of a kind. You, uh, do I know, what's Alan's last name? Does he have an Alan last name? Yes. <laughs> oh, I have a bunch of spare names also. <laughs> His last name is Melling. Melling? Yeah. Okay. You're, uh, you're Calvin Melling. <laughs> yeah, have we met? No, but I think you've met Alan Melling? I mean, I've met, I've met him. He's my he's my younger brother. Exactly. Yeah, I'm Alan's uh, roommate. Oh, I guess ex roommate at this point. His face falls when you uh, make that distinction. I'm uh, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm hopeful that he's still my current roommate. Yeah, we all are. 
Look, honestly, I just want Alan to come home, and I'm sure you do too, so let's, you know, share some information here. What have you learned? I haven't learned anything. So far, what I know firsthand is that three weeks ago on Wednesday was the last time he was in our place, um, and everything there left was, I don't know, like he wasn't planning to leave. Um, nothing's packed, and nobody seems to have any idea where he went. It seems like people have just forgotten about him already. I figured his brother would be one of the only people who definitely wouldn't have felt that way. He winces when you mention people having forgotten him. And he says, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I'd say uh, our kind tend to get the short end of the stick around here. And it uh, rubs you the wrong way when you live somewhere, you belong to a community, and then when it's your hour of need, all of a sudden it's just uh, crickets chirping outside. It's not a pleasant feeling. It sits in your gut like poison. I wish I had information to tell you, but if I did, I'd, I'd be chasing them down myself. And Roman, you notice that behind you, your conversation that you're having with Calvin, Ricky B and Carl are having like a very heated discussion and they keep shooting glances back over at you and back over at, uh, at Calvin. It seems like there's one of them might want to go over and join the conversation and another one is like convincing him to stay back. Can I, I can tell which one is like, we should tell her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricky B wants to talk to you and Carla's like, don't do it. I fucking knew it would be Ricky B. Yeah. Hey, you. Yeah, you. I don't know, in the overalls. Uh, you all have overalls, but I can see you looking at me. Ricky B crosses his arms and he says, is there something I can help you with, miss? I think you know there is. Hey, I'm not your enemy here, dude. Why are you trying to make me into it? Calvin uh, is also confused. He's looking back at the two of them and he says, if you two got something to say, you should uh, say it, you know? Carl kind of gives up. He throws his, like, they all have rags. They're <laughs> all just holding rags. No, he, grabs, he has, like, a wrench, a different prop to do his, like, character acting in this scene. And he, like, uh, despondently taps the wrench against his leg and shuffles off to the back of the garage, having, like, given up. And Ricky B kind of, like, steps forward. He looks really nervous, though. You, uh, you live with Alan? Yeah, he's like my closest friend. He's a good kid. He means well, for sure. It's not great to see him uh, mixed up in something like this. What's something like this? Calvin is also like, what are you talking about? You've never mentioned anything like this before. And Ricky B says, um, Calvin, we all thought it might be better if, if you didn't have to find out about it this way. Me and the guys, we were trying to figure out if there was something we could do, but Alan uh, has gone south. So I spent a little bit of time at the docks these days. And you know that um, there is like a powerful organization of werewolves uh, who run the docks in the distillery district, and that most of them answer to Rex Lemaire, which these werewolves have sort of like very uh, staunchly decided is like not their kind of path, and they're sort of separate from that. So um, Ricky B says, I think he got himself in a little bit of trouble. I think he might have owed a few favors, more than he was willing to let on. And uh, we only found out a couple of days ago. We heard someone spotted him down there. We would had people making patrols, taking a look, and he's turned up. But as far as I'm aware, he doesn't want to or he can't come home. But he's alive. 
He's alive. We only just found out we were trying to figure out how to tell you, Cal. Does Calvin have anything to say to this? Calvin is shocked and he looks at you for a second and then back at Ricky B. And then his hand curls into a fist and he socks Ricky B in the jaw, who yelps and like teeters backward into the brick wall of the garage. He says, God damn it, we're on the same side. I'm trying to get the same thing you are. And Calvin says, you piece of shit. How could you not tell me this the second you found out? And they- um, I'll try to get in between them. (laughs) (laughs) This might be a rule. You might be- Is it keeping your cool if I'm trying to keep someone else's cool? Keeping their cool. cool. (laughs) I think that you could persuade an NPC. Yeah, you're not keeping, you are still cool. Your cool is maintained. Yeah. So I think this is more about persuading an NPC. Okay. Uh, Nine. Okay. So they're going to do what you ask, but they're going to modify the terms or demand a debt. So you're just trying to like stop a physical altercation from happening. And you're just going to like physically insert yourself between them and be like, stop it. Yeah. Um, or maybe be like, Calvin, Ricky told you he's not the one. Yeah. Are you like a, trying to like engage with one of them over the other? Sure. Yeah. I'm trying to calm Calvin down and convince him Ricky's not his enemy. Arguably like Carl is, but it's kind of a misdirected anger. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. So you uh, you leap in between them. And just as Cal is rearing up for another punch, you try to grab him and push him back. I feel like you're quite small. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's like twice your size. So you can't like physically force him to do anything. But he does stop when he sees that he's about to hit you instead of Ricky B. And he says, look, I get that you're all trying to help. I appreciate it. But I uh, feel like your attempts might be a little bit misguided. And I think you might be getting into something that doesn't necessarily concern you. This might be a bit more of a a family matter. If you catch my drift, I would appreciate it if you could let me uh, discuss this with my family. Is that that's me getting kicked out, basically, right? He is going to calm down, but he's going to ask you to leave, I think, is like the term. Okay, yeah. So you like kind of shut off your access to more information. Yeah, no, that's fair. The other thing I kind of want to ask you about and think about is Ileana, of course, who is your fey matriarch leader. She's like hugely pissed. Her access to sunshine has been cut off. Her grand vision for a beautiful ritual did not come to pass. You are at fault for both of those things. So you are on her absolute blacklist. If she's talking to you at all, it's to give you like the shittiest, grungiest jobs. And I think the other thing that you're very aware of is that she's like not interested in hearing like your explanation about why sunshine is or isn't happening to her. She just wants to receive the object. So I think that if you are unable to provide her with the drug, then she is more than likely going to get a few of her other cronies to start shaking down other residents of Fairside and trying to track down someone else's supply. She she can be very vicious when provoked. And you know this. So I want to know like, how you're dealing with that. Like, how does that interaction go for you? Like what you might do in response? Well, first of all, I think there's like a little bit of supply here and there, like some going stale sunshine that I can scrounge up from other people who have bought uh, recently. And like out of my own pocket, I'm paying for this. It's really not sustainable. I'm also probably avoiding Ileana until I can like permanently fix this problem. I'm probably giving the sunshine to, um, is her like man boy server named Elliot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it to Elliot because like 
I don't think Elliot has his own political agenda or like, you know, like he's already Ileana's favorite toy. He's so he's like very like magically brainwashed. It's very easy for me to be like, you give this to Ileana and don't like take credit for it. Right? Yeah, like he he's would not just going. do that. Yeah, he doesn't have the capacity to like take credit for something he did. He's exactly, like, yeah. he's in a daze constantly. So I'm using him as like my human mailbox while I try to sort this shit out. As like a proxy. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no leads on like sustaining the sunshine. I think I would cap this by saying if you do have like a dose, maybe the scene ends with you going to pick up another dose from someone you've paid through the nose. Uh, it's getting way too expensive. You can't afford this, but anything that can like win you back into Ileana's charms is a good idea. And um, you grab some off a guy named Zachary, who is a, another just like low life musician. His apartment is like 10 times worse than your house, which is saying something. It's like a real like shabby hole. Oh, like he doesn't have a roof. The, the roof has a couple of additional skylights that really open up the place. And the uh, little bottle he gives you is shockingly uh, nearly full. Usually you're finding like little driblets that might keep Ileana going for like a day or two. And it's full and the liquid inside is still that kind of uh, cheery, sunshiny trademark yellow. But it has almost like um, a, a hint of like a greenish tinge to it. That's something you've seen before. What's going on? You, you trying to quit or why is this, why is there so much? He smiles and he says, well, I wouldn't be good at what I do if I gave away all my secrets now, would I? Can I figure someone out? This would be a great time to figure someone out. I'd love to figure someone out. An eight. Oh, okay. You rolled an eight with mine to figure someone out? Yes. Uh, on a seven to nine, they hold one on you so they can ask you one question, you can ask them one question from the list of questions that I'm not gonna read again. Who's pulling your character strings? There is a blanket on like a shitty couch in the center of the room that passes for a bed. He also has a bed that's like more in the corner. This is like his guest bed. Um, and at first you think it's just covered with like dog hair, like there was mostly a dog around shedding, but you don't see any evidence of like any kind of pet. And as you follow him into his like shabby little room to get the stuff, you run your hand along it and it feels like Alan's fur. It feels like werewolf fur. Okay. Mm, that's enough information for now. So I'm going to take my drugs and go. He gets a question too. Oh yeah. I think he wants a little bit of gossip and um, he's going to ask you, what is your character worry might happen? And he's kind of phrase it like, uh, so story on the street is that you're on the outs with uh, her highness. Yeah, well, uh, it's a little awkward. Thank you for bringing that up. Isn't everyone always on the outs with Ileana? Mm, they tend not to be for long. They tend to get back on the ends or they tend to be outs, if you catch my drift. Well, sometimes you're on the outs with Liliana when you can't get her drugs, which is why I'm buying this janky shit from you. Bon appetit. So, Knox, you do have a show tonight. Woo! Nat and Jackson are really excited by it. Do you, I mean, you know your show's at Hardware, the Hardware. Yeah. It's the first show you've played since you had like a pretty intense encounter with Ileana, who you know runs that place. Yeah. What's your like mood? What's your vibe? Uh, I mean, a lot's been going on, so I'm actually feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, I get to take all that's been going on and been hard to process and let it flow through me into my art. You're like loading your gear in, yep. <laughs> in like the artist entrance to the hardware. Yep. Um, 
Eliana either outright like owns the building or has deals with whoever owns it and it has like a lot of pull with that person. She's not like a club owner. She doesn't like run the day to day. So it's like a lot of um, mortal mundane dudes and gals and others who are like helping you piling your stuff and whatever. Yep. But I still think you, you kind of have like an uneasy feeling like as excited as you are. There is like a bit of a, a shiver as like, say, Elliot sits at the bar of hardware and drinks a little whiskey on the rocks and watches you with a kind of unsettlingly like placid and unblinking gaze as you set up your equipment and run through your levels. Why am I? I mean, to me, it just seems like currently at this point in time, Ileana's in my pocket. So. Okay. She's in your pocket for one debt. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, that's better than zero. Then you feel great. Then your confidence uh, buoys you. Well, I play here before, right? Yeah, all so the time. I feel like this would be the first time now after actually interacting with this owner who I probably haven't had any, if not limited, interaction with before is now like I have a one up on her. Uh, yes. Okay, sure. Then, um, then you're really excited. I think it's going to be a really fun night for everyone. Kitty. Hey, I'm doing great. Yeah. I bet you are. Um, How I feel him. So about five, no, like 15 minutes after you uh, lick that syrup off your hand as you're tidying up Betty's room, it starts to kind of hit you in waves and you really just sort of chill out. You are feeling like a bit comfortably numb in all of your extremities. You were kind of wound up earlier by the stressful phone call that had been visited upon you. But now that worry is barely present in your head as you kind of stroll around the apartment. Before you know it, as you're, um, I don't know, what are you doing on like a mild high? It's like a sort of um, opiate. So you're sort of very like chill. You're very relaxed. You're probably like maybe slightly drowsy. My instinct is she wants to take a bubble bath. Okay. I'm sure she has everything she needs for that. You do have all the bubble bath uh, amenities. You fill up a tub with some hot scalding water. That's the only way to run a bubble bath in my Mm. opinion. Correct. Drop in lots of suds and light a couple scented candles. And it's like, let's have a nice kitty day, you know? You're staring at me a lot now, (laughs) so I have to stop speaking. I was wondering, what sense am I putting into the tub? Do I want, is this, could this be a vision trigger? Oh, it could. It it is and it will be. Even if you don't intentionally put in sense that you associate with visions, as soon as you sink down into the very relaxing, kind of soothing water, you feel the tension seep out of your muscles. You've got your hair pinned up because you've got stuff to do later, I guess. And as the bubbles kind of froth all around you, you can see um, twinkling lights in them as though each bubble is like containing a miniature galaxy or a crystal ball. And some of them uh, lift off of the surface of the tub and float around your head as you lean back and close your eyes. I think it starts out pretty nice. I think you see like a beautiful forest scape that has like strong, graceful looking trees, like wildflowers scattered everywhere. In the distance, you can see like deep blue cobalt mountains poking over a heavy rise. You're walking in like a white linen sundress, the sunny field, the breeze is blowing. You have the sensation that you're not alone, that you brought someone with you, someone not unlike you. And as you're strolling through this field, you call back, Roman. And then you spin around because you hear no reply. And instead of seeing Roman there in your vision, you see 
that same demon that you saw before um, with long uh, bony fingers, flames are lapping at the edges of his white hair and it's curling up like smoke from the top of him like he's a giant candle. And suddenly heavy storm clouds fill the sky, thunder begins to boom and this demon creature charges towards you. And the last thing you hear as he uh, dominates your field of vision and pounces upon you is Kitty! And your eyes snap open and you're in the bathtub and Philip is rattling the handle of the bathroom, which you've locked. I take a sec to gather myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, one moment, one moment. I, I need to speak with you. Could you, are you busy in there? Do you mind? Let me just get, get dressed, please. Okay, you climb out of the bathtub and throw on a uh, robe. You are uh, still feeling it, Mr. Krabs. And I guess you unlock the door and maybe what, just like peek out? Or do you come out into the room? I'll come, well, well, now I want to peek out because you gave me that option. You always had that option. It was always within you. I know, but I wouldn't have if you didn't suggest it. That's Um, why I'm here, I guess. Okay. Uh, You peek out and um, Philip is looking like he has been caught in an evening rainstorm. He is shaking out an umbrella. Looks like he just got back to the apartment. And he says, uh, were you just, um, oh, I guess you were just sort of uh, having a little kitty time. Uh, yes, I, I just thought I would relax for the afternoon. What's 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 happening, Philip? No, everything's fine. I just, um, I called for you a few times when I got in and I didn't hear anything. So I got a little worried. Maybe you had uh, fallen asleep in there. You know, you know I think I... I I did fall asleep a little bit. I had another vision about the the monster. Oh, um, goodness, that that's two in a row, isn't it? Yes, I suppose so. And I, uh, I wasn't in this vision either, this one, again? No, Philip. Um, my sister, you remember I've told you about my sister? Oh, the, um, the, the runaway. Yeah, she, she was there. I haven't seen her. Hmm. These childhood dreams can have quite a potent effect on us. I'm pretty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he doesn't really seem to notice. He says, Kitty, listen, um, I've only just nipped back for a moment, but uh, we've got an important budget meeting at the mayor's office, and it looks like it's going to run into the evening a little bit. I'm, I said I could get away just to contact you and make sure you didn't have to worry about anything, but I will be working late tonight downtown. I wanted to go dancing. Oh, um, I, I had no idea. Uh, I thought of it. Just a few minutes ago. Um, uh, I'll have to take a rain check on that, my dearest. You know, the city never sleeps and neither should I or dance or... As the it, city as it dances is. all the time. Uh, Kitty, you have to understand this is a, a, a pretty important budgetary meeting and I'm, as much as I would love a, a wonderful night of dancing with you, my darling, I can't exactly jeopardize my career over us. I understand. Let's... Another day. Another day, certainly. Until then, you can practice along to the radio. They've got Samba at seven. They do have Samba at seven. I put on the Samba channel. It's not seven yet. But in anticipation, (laughs) (laughs) Philip departs. As you are cleaning up after your bath and um, eagerly awaiting Samba at seven, there's like a niggling sensation in the back of your head at 6.45 as you're standing, muscles clenched in the living room, waiting for Samba at seven to begin. (laughs) Um, You remember the uh, handbill and the bottles that you found in Betty's room. And you realize that she usually comes home from school at like 
three thirty, hmm. and it's almost seven, and what there's time no sign of her. Was it supposed to start? The show? Yeah. At eight thirty. It's a Thursday. Yeah, I' gonna get dressed and go. Okay, you're gonna go to a, a, a jazz concert by yourself in Fairside. Well, I wanted Philip to come with me, but he has a meeting. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, you do you. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just clarifying the situation. Is this something where you're like, Katie's being a lady in the city, or is it like I'm drugged out and like I saw this poster, or is it like I'm? Are you worried about Betty? I think it's a combination thereof. I think what I was thinking I would do is ask Philip to come with me. That was my jury's plan of what a uh, high kitty might do is get her husband to come with her to this bar and have like a nice time. I think it's more fun if you don't have anyone to rely yeah, on. And you're right. Um, so I think I think it's not out of like, I don't think it's out of the blue for her to go by herself. I think it's not like her, but I think she's high. And I also think she is worried about Kitty and is quite intrusive. She's worried about Betty. She's she's also worried about Kitty. <laughs> I think you spend a little less time worrying about Betty and a little more time worrying about Kitty. But how are you like dressing? Because you're a person who like normally goes to like charity galas and this is like the closest thing we have to like a rock club in this city. Yeah, um, I think I have, I think I'm savvy enough to like maybe not dress how I usually dress. Yeah, she's gonna just maybe dress down a little bit like a sort of what Betty might wear when she goes out. Okay. Does she wear things from Betty's closet? I don't think she's that. No, I think she'll just like unbutton a few buttons to her blouse and like not wear like three layers of petticoats, you know? Okay, then you call a taxi and uh, you head on out to the Fairside neighborhood. Susan, you want to hunt demons. Mm -hmm. You know that there exists a powerful machine that will help you hunt demons better. Yep. You know that Knox has that machine. I do. Do you want to get it from him? Yeah, he stole it. He said he'd give it back. He lied to my staff. Okay. I think that you can very easily learn or already know that Knox will be playing at this club tonight. Yes. Yeah. I'm going there to like shake him down after the show. Mm, let's say as you're leaving, either to go home or to just go straight to the bar, Joan shows up uh, sporting a uh, delightful shiner. Her eyes are a little red and puffy, looks like she's been crying. And um, she doesn't expect you to be in the doorway as she comes in. And she sort of pushes past you and sniffles and uh, heads deeper into the building. Joan? She says, I'm fine. Uh, Doesn't look fine. Didn't ask for an opinion. Uh, Okay, well, do you want to tell me who gave you that? She says, do we have any ice? Yes. Where? Come on, where? In the chest. <laughs> I can't find it. Are we out? I don't know. This thing is so fucking deep. <laughs> the chest? Yeah, it's like a big ice chest. Okay. Yeah, coming. She's rooting around and she she's like leaning like fully into it and she's found a couple, like a little, uh, I guess like plastic bag of ice at the bottom that she's pressed to her face and she uh, wheels around when she hears you enter the kitchen. So? I told you it's fine. Mm, I don't accept that. Do we have a problem? I think you're trying to figure someone out. Seven. Seven, okay. You have one hold. 
on Joan. You can ask her a question from the question list. I'll just ask my favorite question, which is what is your character? Uh, what do they worry might happen? Okay, you you fold your arms and you stand in the kitchen. You survey Joan as she sort of um, is shrinking against the wall, holding this bag of ice to her face. You've never seen her this like annoyed and upset. And the thing that it kind of really strikes a chord and causes you some concern is that she seems a little bit like scared of you or worried. I'm not going to hurt you, Joan. I don't know that. What's that supposed to mean? I protect you. She puts down the ice and she's she's like worrying it in her hands. She says, um, you know, maybe I shouldn't um, maybe I shouldn't help out with the naturalist society anymore. Like maybe that's not just a good fit for me right now. Did something happen? Was there another another demon or no? Well, can it's you... not that. Well, then what is it? You're my best fighter. Susan, I don't want you to think any less of me. How could I? <laughs> wow. I, I, sometimes I, I use sunshine and I'm, I'm sure that's not really the kind of behavior you think is fitting of someone who is trying to um, protect fair side in the way that you do. We've all used sunshine, darling. She's like shocked. She's like, you're, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> I assure you I'm not. You like now or like 20 years ago or? <laughs> uh, I have. Do you know how, how many late nights I've had cooped up in here, pouring over my notes? Sometimes you just need a fucking break. Well, it turns out now's not really um, the best time for a break. Why? Ileana, someone cut her off and uh, she's not taking it well. Mm-hmm. Did somebody hurt you because of that? She's sending her guys after everyone she thinks uses in case they have any leftover that she can snatch for herself. She took some of my shit that I paid a good penny for. Not that that's really the bigger picture here. I see. Are you up to follow up on a lead tonight? You want me to go with you tonight? If if you want to, maybe it'll be fun. The, there's a show at the hardware. Maybe that's not a good place for you. She says, no, no, you, you think I can help? Yeah, you remember that young man from the other night? Knox, yeah? Yeah. He uh, met Grace the other day and they found all that stuff in the shed and he took that weird device, the Ark, and he never gave it back. I would like to have it. Think he's got it on him? Maybe. It's valuable. Oh, maybe we could track him. You know what? I think... And she starts like kind of spouting off like a lot of ideas about how she could help uh, assist in the situation, even though there's still a, a couple of tears welling up in her <laughs> puffy ass black eye. She's smiling. She says, um, I'll be ready in an hour. Delightful. Roman, you're at the bar of the hardware drinking away your misery. You have been, I think, um, relegated to the shit tier 
as it were, as Ileana lounges in her little private booth above on the catwalks where you normally get to reside. Um, so you're feeling very much like a literal second-class citizen as she lords herself above you. The metaphor is juicy and delicious. Um, and as you pound back another whiskey sour. Yeah. Yeah. I know all your characters here at drink orders. I just haven't said them yet. You uh, run your finger around the rim of your glass and stop when you hear what sounds like a bit of an altercation at the door across the room. You glance over your shoulder and you see the bouncer having some words with a uh, short, slim woman with expertly coiffed dark hair and her companion, a huge, tall guy with buzzed blonde hair, both of them dressing in uh, ill-fitting cheap suits and covertly out of the corner of your eye you catch her palm the bouncer a couple of bills and he sort of sniffs folds his arms and the two of them enter the bar without incident they step up to the counter next to you and you hear one of them straighten her jacket uh put her elbows down in the bar and take an appraising look at the hardware around her and she says you know what mickey i think this is the place Thanks for listening to episode three of Many Realms Lakeshore. We'll be back on March 17th to see how the gang deals with these goons. If you're in the Toronto area, we'll also be at Breakout Con in downtown Toronto on Saturday, March 21st. We'll be hanging out, talking about the show, and handing out goodies. So if you're around, please come say hi. See you next time.